The following lecture was delivered at the 12th Annual National Jewish Retreat in Palm Desert, California, a project of the Roar Jewish Learning Institute. We hope you enjoy the lecture, and we encourage you to visit jretreat.com for information on upcoming retreats. Rabbi David Aaron will now present The Joy of Shabbat, Mastering the Power of Living in the Now. Sometimes I get home from work, and I feel really hungry. And I open up the refrigerator door, and it's full. The, f the fridge is full. And yet, you know, do I want the tuna casserole? Mm, no. Uh, how, how about the uh, watermelon? Mm, no. And have you ever had that experience where you're really hungry, and you think you just eat anything, and yet, for some reason, nothing in that refrigerator speaks to you. Have you ever had that experience? Have you then closed the door and come right back 30 seconds later and open it up again? Have you done that? Right, right. Have you done that multiple times where you're opening up and closing the door of the fridge as if, like, in the meantime, a little elf might have put something new in there, right? Well, when that happens... I want you to know that what you're looking for is not in the fridge. Because what you're looking for is in the freezer, all right? <laughs> and you want Ben and Jerry Chunky Monkey, which I think is really amazing that this whole retreat, with all the food, no Chunky Monkey. And we're going we're gonna to complain and make sure next year. You see, what you're looking for and what I'm looking for whatever human beings looking for, is we're looking for connection. We're craving connection. And so we're hungering connection, but we think it's food. And yet for some reason, our souls know it's not food, but we don't quite know what it is. And that's what I wanna talk about. I wanna talk about the power of connection and how Shabbat, is absolutely the most brilliant strategy for creating connection in your life. All right? Now, I have to, you know, honestly I have to tell you that I believe that Shabbat has literally saved my life, saved my marriage, has saved my family, because as you know, rabbis only work on Shabbat, so my family never sees me. I'm just joking. But Shabbat is just incredible, and that's what I want to share with you. What is Shabbat? So let me share with you a midrash, an oral tradition, that is literally a game changer. It is a paradigm shift. And most people don't think this way, but Torah thinks this way. And it goes like this. The midrash says that the world, the creation of the world is analogous to a king who is creating and building a wedding canopy for his daughter, the princess. Now, I just shared this on the mountain with the most breathtaking view. And so it was very, very special, right? So just imagine these trees, you know, are, you're out there on the mountain. And this world is a wedding canopy. It's a chuppah. And it took the king six days to build this chuppah. But who is the kala? Who is the bride? The bride is Shabbat. Right? The bride is Shabbat. And the whole world has been created for Shabbat, but Shabbat is supposed to get married to somebody. Right? So Shabbat says to her father, Daddy, Daddy, I don't have a shidduch. You know what a shidduch is? A match, right? A soulmate. I don't have a shidduch. I mean, Sunday and Monday, they're hanging out. Everybody knows what's going on. Tuesday and Wednesday, you see them together all the time, right? Thursday and Friday, it's no secret. But I'm single, and I don't have a shidduch. So her father says to her, I have a shidduch for you. I have a match for you. The Jewish people. And the Jewish people are going to marry you. And that's why we are commanded, Likadesh at the Shabbat. Just like under the chuppah, the groom is Mikadesh, 
the bride, he sanctifies her, so too when you're saying Kiddush Friday night, you are marrying Shabbat. And all of Shabbat is really a wedding. And it starts off with Come my beloved towards the bride. Who's the bride? Shabbat. Who's the groom? We are. And Shabbat is a wedding. A wedding feast. Okay. So that's the Midrash. That's the oral tradition. And it uh, sounds like some fairy tale strange. Let's, let's unpack that. Let's get to the secrets that our sages were encoding in this. You see, this is a complete shift. Because what does it mean the entire world has been created for Shabbat? Well, what is Shabbat? Shabbat is a time for time. That's what Shabbat is. Shabbat is a time to take off time, to share time. Share time with your friends. Share time with yourself. Share time with Hashem. Share time with your family, your spouse. It's time. Now, you see, the way we, most of us have been taught is just like they teach you in business. Time is money. And you spend time. And what you do with spending your time is you spend it on getting bigger homes or more furniture, or get more things. But it seems like time is the currency with which you buy space and get things and stuff your place with more stuff. And they'll like more stuff, and then you get a more place to stuff in the stuff. And you spend your time to do that. This Midrash is telling us you got it all wrong. It's not about spending time to getting space and things. All the space and all the things are there to set the context. It's the chuppah for you to marry your soulmate, which is time. Time is your soulmate. Time will bring you joy. Time will bring you life. Not things, not places. We're not against things and places. The king is building the world. And all that space and all the things in the world are there for Shabbat. Shabbat is time just for time. And we're going to marry time. And that's the essence of everything. It's all about time. It's all about time. See, most people are spending so much of their time getting more things and getting more space. But what we want is connection. We're craving connection. And big places and lots of things don't necessarily create connection. What you need for connection, desperately need for connection, is time. This is a world that has no time. Nobody has any time. There's just no time. You know, it's all fast. Fast food. Fast eat, fast excrete, fast out of there, fast. I'm fast, off into the next fast. And when are we here? When are we now? When are we present? That's why Shabbat is so amazing. Because Shabbat forces us to disconnect from our phones, disconnect from the internet, disconnect from our computers or from all of that so that we can connect with each other. And who has time for that? I remember my first time in New York City, where a friend of mine and I were driving outside of the city. It's Friday afternoon, it's getting a little late. And suddenly, we are stuck. And the traffic is literally moving inch by inch. And I say to him, what is this? He says, it's rush hour. I said, who's the sick guy that came up with that name? Rub it in. I'm in a rush. And you call it rush hour? Well, that's when I really got a rush. That I guess I'm here to talk to this guy. And I guess this isn't about moving 
faster to other places, but being more present with who I am right now. And we've lost that. And so many marriages are breaking down and so many families are breaking down. And that's because the absolute number one ingredient for love and connection is time. And all the big spaces and all the things are wonderful if they contribute to your time. I know people that spend so much of their time just have bigger places and more things and yet they have no time for what really matters. You know, I was involved in Hollywood a number of years ago. I was teaching uh, actors and actresses and directors. And I met the director of film that was about to get the Oscar. Everybody knew that she was going to get the Oscar. I'm not going to say names because uh, what I'm going to share is not the most complimentary point. And her husband uh, was also a leading figure in the world of production also. And I was sharing some Torah with them. They were actually very proud of their Jewishness, which was very beautiful. And uh, as we were driving to their home in Bel Air, they were pointing out who their neighbors are. Of course, where I live in the old city, your neighbor lives next door to you. Right? <laughs> Over there, your neighbor lives a couple miles away from you. <laughs> Anyways, we're driving into their home, and they take me through the back door. I don't know. I didn't deserve the front door. But we go through the back door. We're going through the kitchen. As we're going through the kitchen, I see on the wall... Like maybe 50 monitors. You know, I said, how many shows can you watch at once for breakfast? They said, no, 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 no. These are security monitors. I said, that's even more sick. You're watching security monitors for breakfast? No, no, no. You have to stand. The, the property is huge and we need, you know, cameras at, at every angle of the home. I said, okay, you know, fine. So we're sitting in the home is just absolutely unbelievable. And I said, wow, it's an unbelievable place you got here. Well, we're actually going to demolish it. Oh, why? Well, you see, you know, here in California, you know, there's earthquakes and that kind of stuff. And we don't like the fact that our children's bedroom is so far away from our bedroom. So we're going to knock down the whole place. You wonder, there must have been some other way to deal with this, right? Knock down the whole place. We're going to be moving somewhere else for two years, right? So the children can be closer to us. Well, you know, that didn't happen. Because a couple months later, she caught her husband in his office with his secretary. And now the children's bedroom is very far away from their bedroom. And you know why that happened? Because they don't have time for each other. Because she's making movies. He's making movies. Everything's moving. But there's no time. And this is what's going on in the world today. No time. And that's what love needs. Love needs time. And Shabbat forces us. Stop. Be now. Be present. Connect. So, you know, I do a lot of public speaking. I've traveled a lot of this planet. And I'm very careful, you know, to, uh, with my family situation so I'm careful not to travel for longer than one year at a time. And um, so I travel not more than one week at a time. But there, I don't want to miss more than one Shabbat. I prefer not even to miss one Shabbat, but Shabbat, that's, a, that's too hard to miss with the family. But there was one particular trip that it was two Shabbats. I felt very bad about that. So when I got home, I said to the kids, I said, kids, Abba's home and uh, I want to do something special because I was away for a little longer than I, you know, I, I should be. And so I'm sorry about that. I want to take you all out for dinner, take you out to a great restaurant. Kids seem to be really responsive to that, you know. So we live in the old city of Jerusalem where we're walking out of Jaffa Gate, right? My kids were like three and four and five till infinity. And um, so I turn to the kids and I say, kids, what do you want? Chinese or Italian? My son didn't miss a beat. He was four years old. He said, I want you. Yeah, he wanted to eat me. <laughs> Freaked me out. Freaked me out. Undernourished children. But that was really heartbroken. My kid doesn't want an egg roll. My kid doesn't want pizza. My kid wants time with me. When will I have time for time? 
if not for Shabbat, that forces me to create time and not be in a rush. You know, there are some Torah Jews that don't even wear a watch on Shabbat. I don't wear a watch on Shabbat. I just make sure I have friends that do. But that's Shabbat. So I share this idea at the home of somebody in Toronto. They were not that aware of their Judaism, and they hosted a bunch of people to hear me speak. And I shared this idea. So the host, the father of the home, said, you know, Rabbi, we figured that out two years ago. My wife and I decided that we got to spend more time with the kids. So we have something called Wednesday night game night. And every Wednesday night, we take off a few hours for game night. So his wife turns to him in front of everybody. says, honey, you know, we made that decision two years ago. We did it twice. But the Orthodox family across the street, you know, in Toronto, they have these big homes and they have these huge windows. So you can look right in so you don't need a television. You can watch reality TV, you know. Just watch the neighbors, you know. She says, but I can see every Friday the family goes to shul together and they come back and they sit and they eat and they sing and they share and they're present and they're there. We don't do that. And very few people do that today. But that's what love needs. Love needs time. Shabbat is a time for time. And time is our soulmate. Time is of the essence. It's not just money. Time is money. It's not. So actually, just sharing this with the Sinai scholars, one of the students said to me that it's actually a known fact that in research of addiction, that addiction is generally generated because of this lack of connection. People are feeling this lack of connection. They are craving. They are hungering for connection. And that's what we need to do. So there's a fabulous TED Talk where it was a Harvard survey. One of the longest, it's, I think it's the longest survey ever, research. It's 76 years. And they've been following 724 people right, throughout their lives. To figure out the secret to health, happiness, and longevity. Now I want you to know that the, the research has shown that, your, that campus students, 80% of campus students, their goal is to be rich. 50% their goal is to be famous. So let's just see what research shows us of how much money and fame contributes to happiness, health, and longevity. So this Harvard report, research, has demonstrated that the happiest, healthiest, and longest living people are people who have good relationships. A relationship with their community, with their family, with their friends, but it's about relationships. And that's where Judaism took us to. It's about relationships. But relationships take time. You know? I've spoken on the Upper West Side a number of times. It's considered like the singles haven. There's uh, so many singles on the Upper West Side. And you'd think that that would be a place where you could meet a lot of people because there's so many people. So I asked this girl who was complaining how she's not meeting guys. And I said, how can you not meet guys? There's so many guys here. They said, you know, and see them because they're so driven in their careers. They get up at five. They get back at like one. When are they going to have time to get married? And when they do get married. So somebody you know, said that they have a friend and he desperately wants to get married. And one of my little hobbies is matchmaking. I like to mess up people's lives. And so uh, they said, would you meet with the guy? I said, sure. He's a stockbroker. He actually has his own, his own uh, company office in Manhattan. So I get into his office and there on the wall, Schwartz. 
right? And there's a receptionist there. She says, can I help you? I said, well, I have an appointment with Schwartz. She says, oh, sure, Rabbi, uh, he'll be with you in a second. So I'm waiting and I'm waiting and I get into his office. And again, this guy, he, he's, he's by a desk and he has all these screeds with all these numbers. Right? And the whole time he's looking at the numbers. And he says to me, so Rabbi, I hear that you can help me get married. I said, no. Uh, well, because people say I'm not focused, you're not. Uh, what would you say? But that's what he was like. Not focused. Not focused. You know, I tell people that when you're dating, you never answer your cell phone when you're dating. Because that is such an insult that you are not present with this date, that you're going to take a phone call. At the very least, you should tell your date that I'm only going to take calls that are like an emergency, okay? So if the call comes in from the girl I'm dating tomorrow, I'm only going to take that one, okay? But other than that, I'm really here. I'm really here. It's all about time. It's all about time. That's what our children will remember. That's what our friends will remember. So I have a friend, very successful businessman, and his son was, um, was voted to put the mezuzah on the new wing of the school. Well, this guy's mother, well, the, the wife calls her husband. She says, Jerry, this is fabulous news. You know, uh, Benny has been selected. And so that's going to be in a couple days from now. On Thursday, he's going to be putting up the mezuzah on the new wing. You're going to be there, right? Ah, uh, honey, I'm, <laughs> I'm really sorry. I mean, you know, it's, uh, you know, it's a very busy time now. You know, you know, don't worry about it. I'm going to get him that new bicycle. He's going to be happy with that new bicycle. All right. Is he going to be happy with that new bicycle? No. You know, and that's a sad thing. There are a lot of parents whose parenting motto is toys are us. That's a great name for a store. That's a lousy way to raise your children. But you go to playgrounds, right? When I go to a playground, my kids watch me swinging. I go to a playground, I see so many parents. They're sitting there, and they're looking at their iPhone. And you hear the kids saying, hey, Daddy, look, look, look. Mommy, look, look, look. And that's what happens. Nobody looked at them. And so then they spend their whole life trying to get somebody to look at them. Right? That's what happens. That's what happens. I saw, by chance, I saw an interview of Cher. You remember Cher? Singer Cher. Am I dating myself? Right? And she's on Charlie Rose. And for some reason, she has blonde hair. She's <laughs> like, you know, she was, her brand was black hair. So uh, Charlie says to uh, Cher, he says, you know, Cher, it's, uh, it's well known. Everybody knows that you have low self-esteem. Says that on camera. And she says, yeah, Charlie, I feel horrible about myself. Right? He says, Sharon, do you think a lot of people in the industry really have low self-esteem? She said, of course, Charlie. Otherwise, why would you and I be in front of these cameras? Right? Got him, right? <laughs> Charlie went like, but why is that? Because nobody gave me time. They might have given me so much. I had all the toys. I had a big room, right? But nobody gave me time. Shabbat is about give time. Be there. So Shabbat is literally mastering the art of knowing yourself. Be now, right? Imagine if you had no consciousness of the past. That means you would never be angry because you don't remember anything to be angry about. Right? That means you wouldn't live with resentment because you don't have a memory of anything that happened to be resentful about. Imagine that you also have no concept of the future. So you would never be anxious. You'd never be worried. You could only be now. Who would you be if you were only now? You'd be happy. Most of the time we're not happy is because we're thinking about what happened or we're worrying about what will happen rather than living what is happening right now. And generally what's happening right now is pretty good. 
But I'm not there. I'm not now. I'm not with it. It's tragic. Shabbat is exactly that. Shabbat is an opportunity to see the world the way Hashem, God, sees the world. Right? How does Hashem see the world? So in the first talk I gave you, I pointed out that the name of Hashem, of God, I don't really like the word God because it doesn't do justice to our understanding of divinity. But Hashem, the Yud, the He, the Vav, the He, correlates to Hayah, was, Hoveh, is, Yihyeh, will be. And the Kabbalists explain that's because for Hashem, what for you was, is, and will be, for Hashem is all happening right now. It's like imagine looking at a picture, and on that picture is an ant. Where that ant is, is the now. Where he was, was the past. Where he's going is the future. But from your perspective, it's all now. From Hashem's perspective, right this very second, Avram Avinu is hearing Lech Lecha. Right this very second, the Jewish people are getting out of Egypt. And right this very second, right now, already, the base of Migdash is already built from Hashem's perspective. Hashem sees all of history as if it's painted on a canvas all at once. It's all now. But we're like ants walking across it. And there's now and there what was and what will be. But on Shabbat, you need to be now and tune into the way Hashem sees things. And you will find peace. So Shabbat has all these strategies for being now-minded. For instance, we sing a lot on Shabbat. And I've done a lot of Shabbats for people that have no familiarity with Shabbat. And it drives them crazy. Like, why are we sitting here so long? Like, how long do these songs go for? Like, what is the agenda? Like, can we get to the point? When will this meal ever end? How much can you guys eat? You know? And, um, but you know why we love music so much? Because music brings you into the now. Nobody sings a song to get to the last note. It's not like, can we get to the last note already? Like the whole thing was written for this last note. You know, the dum, bum, bum, bum. In the early days, actually, songs would just kind of go on, like the Beatles kind of, you know, remember the, you know, who they are, right? And then would just kind of fade out. It would sense this, like, journey that never ended. And so if it never ends, you're not in a hurry to get to the end. So why not be now? That's why music was so important for the prophets, to tune into Hashem's mind, the now mind, you have to be now-minded. Just like a radio has to tune in to the frequency of the broadcast, for you to tune into the frequency of the Godcast, you have to be now-minded. Do you follow that? When do you get a chance to practice nowing yourself? That's Shabbat. That's Shabbat. What else do we do on Shabbat? We dance. Again, a great strategy for nowing yourself. Because nobody dances in order to get to the last step. It's not like, can, can we get to the last step already? Like, why is this taking so long? Let's get to the last step. And then what else do we do on Shabbat, which we've been practicing since Tuesday? We eat a lot. Oh, a lot. Just wait until tonight. You thought this was a lot. I brought two stomachs with me in my bag. Right? It's unbelievable. But you know what eating is all about? You know, there's an amazing Rashi, the commentator Rashi explains that on Shabbat you get an extra soul. Rashi says that the symptoms of having an extra soul is the ability to eat double on Shabbat. What does that have to do with extra soul? I would think if I get an extra soul, I would be extra spiritual, and I would at least eat half of what I eat during the week. But on Shabbat, we eat double because we have an extra soul. You know why? You know what food does? You know this phenomenon of emotional eating? I'm not going to ask who here has an issue with emotional eating because I know it's everybody right? What is emotional eating? Because food brings me into the now. It brings me to my body. You know, Judaism is not against our bodies. We are not antibodies. 
right? We love our bodies. See, people think that Shabbat is a spiritual day. Oh, yeah, right. What day do you eat that much? You wear your finest clothing. You bring out your finest china. It's an incredibly materialistic day. That's because there's something that we know that our bodies contribute. Our bodies are now-minded. Our bodies don't know anything about the past. Our bodies know nothing about the future. So when we get anxious, what we do is we eat more because we want to go back to the now, which is what our bodies know what to do. Our bodies are very anchored in the now. And it's interesting that Judaism brings you always back to your body. It's not trying to get you out of your body. It's just trying to put your body in perspective. Don't let your body control you. But don't give up on your body. We're going to come back. Tchiyas Ametim, Revival of Dead, is we like our bodies. We're coming back to our bodies. Because our bodies have a holiness that it is very now-minded. But we, we're flying all over the place. Shabbat has all these strategies to learn how to be now. And that's what love needs is to be now with yourself so you can love yourself. Now with your friends, now with your family, now with your spouse, now with God. Be now, because only now is real. Only now is real. The past is a memory. The future is a fantasy, a dream. When are you actually living, if not now? When can you ever connect to that which is real, to God, if you're not now? So a guy walks into a bar. Joke, right? A guy walks into a bar, and he orders a beer. Behind the bartender, there's a sign that says, free beer tomorrow. He's a whole bartender, hold that beer. I'll come back tomorrow. Comes back tomorrow, right? He says, bartender, I'd like to get that free beer. Bartender says, uh, sir, I don't know what you're talking about. What free beer? Right, I'm speaking Canadian now. Right? What free beer? Right? So he says, well, it says right there behind you on the sign, it says free beer tomorrow. He says, that's right, sir. Come back tomorrow. And he realizes that tomorrow never comes. Tomorrow never comes. So, so many people are living their life for the future. But Judaism wants you to come back to the now because this is where you will meet people. This is where you will meet God in the now. We're not saying don't plan because, but the now, you should think about the past and plan for the future only if it's helping you with what you need to be doing now, right? When I was taught to drive, I was told that the only time you turn back, right, is if you're going to make a turn. Otherwise, you don't drive turning back. That's how you crash. A lot of people are driving their lives and they're constantly turning back, looking back, right? So that's what's so amazing about Shabbat. It's just a brilliant way. Disconnect so that you can actually connect. And the greatest gift that you can give yourself to your family, to your friends, to your spouse, to your loved ones. The greatest gift is to be present. So thank you so much. So this is the part I like the most, which is your questions. There's a mic right there. So if you have questions that you'd like to share, I'd be happy to try and address them. Thank you so much. Thank you, Rabbi David Aaron, for coming and joining us. Um, just on a, on a practical level, the concepts are beautiful. I, I, it resonates tremendously with me. So well, maybe you could just, for the crowd, give us like some practical examples. You wake up in the morning, you got a lot going on, very harried. What can you do to get yourself where you need to be, practically? Well, that's what's so practical about Judaism. It doesn't ask you to keep Shabbos every day, right? You've got six days to enjoy ADHD. Six days, right? We don't even have the patience to actually say what those letters represent. We say ADHD, right? But six days, we're not focused. We aren't, you know. We, and, and that's what God did. Six days, God built the world. Six days, 
God made money. God built, you know, the world and furnished it with trees and rocks and the sun and the, you know. Hashem was working six days. But what was it all for? To rest. But what does that rest mean? People think it means just go to sleep, right? It's also to go to sleep, right? But it means let go of the future. Stop thinking about the past. Just be present. And so Shabbat forces us to do that. And then you try to take some of that Shabbat, you take the light of the Havdalah onto your hands, and you look at your fingers in the light of Havdalah, and you say, I want to now take that sense of calm, that sense of being present, right? And not be in this rushy feeling constantly to get on with it and get somewhere else, right? So, but that's what Shabbat does. And it is hard for people. They don't know what to do with Shabbat. They don't know what to do. I remember my first Shabbat. You know, I did not grow up in a traditional home, but uh, a very Jewish feeling home. I always felt guilty. And uh, so I, I, I was introduced to Judaism, and I decided I was going to keep Shabbat three times and see how I feel after the third time if I want to keep this going. So I kept it Saturday, Sunday, Monday, and this is soaking. So I kept it my first Shabbat. I said, okay, what am I going to do? So I taped the lights. Okay, I'm so holy. You know, got myself some wine. Um, I, I was in a rock band at the time. I told my friends, don't come over. It's going to be Shabbat, and we're not going to be practicing. We used to practice on Shabbat every week, you know, f- you know important songs like Sympathy for the Devil by Rolling Stones. <laughs> and uh, t- today I was going to have a little sympathy for God. And, um, and there I was, all by myself, in the dark, <laughs> with my wine and my challah. And I didn't know what to do. Like, what am I going to do for 25 hours? So I said, well, you know, I guess you should read. But believe it or not, I don't like reading. I was raised with an intervenous to the television set, you know. And so I, didn't, I don't like reading. I would never read my own books. Who has time for reading books, you know? I write them. I don't read them. And so, um, so but I said, I got to read. And I said, well, I want to read something that, I get motivated, so I, got some, I need to read something Jewish. I need to read something short so I'll be able to finish it on Shabbat, so I'll be motivated to do that. So I'm looking around the house for something Jewish, something short. I find a Jewish book by Elie Wiesel, Night. At the end of Shabbat, I hate God. Oh, no, I'm not going to gas chamber. I'm not keeping Shabbat, right? That was it. I'm done with Judaism. But then I heard this little voice say, you made a promise you'd keep Shabbat three times. But then I realized, you don't, you don't keep Shabbat just by yourself. That's, that's hard. Find some friends. It's really easy. Call Chabad, right? And you'll find a place for Shabbat anywhere in the world. Right? Everybody knows. Everywhere in the world you can find Coke and Chabad, you know? So it's amazing. So, but that's what Shabbat does. It, it can be very painful if you don't have a strategy what you're going to do when the goal is to connect, not just sit there idly. That's idol worship. You know, you want to connect. And there's lots of opportunities to do that. Yes, go ahead. I have experience of keeping Shabbos for many years, and I went through a period of time where um, I guess the, the intricacies of the laws actually made me very anxious. And it was like too much. It was like combustible. So I just am wondering, like, if what you would recommend, because I feel like there has to be a balance that not everybody can uphold the full standard of Jewish law. And sometimes you learn the laws and you're like, well, that's nice for somebody else. Or, you know, you want to do the right thing and you hear it as this ideal, you know, um, keeping of Judaism. But it's not always something that you feel like you can actually do. And how do you balance that? Right. Great question. Thank you. You know, my first job as a rabbi, I worked for B'nai B'rith. I was an experiment. They brought in an Orthodox rabbi to work for an organization that's not Orthodox. It, it's uh, supposed to be beyond denominational. And I was very young and naive, and I was going to turn on these kids to Judaism. And I thought our best product is Shabbat. What's better than a Shabbat? So I went up to um, uh, the president of one of the chapters, a girl that was 16 years old, and I said, you know, I've got this great idea. How about your chapter and one of the boys' chapters? We'll get together, and we'll do a Shabbat. And when I said Shabbat, she had this sour look on her face. 
And she said, Shabbat. Shabbat. Do you mean no tearing toilet paper? I said, Oy vey. I say Shabbat, and I think of connection. I think of presence. I think of chillant. And she's thinking about toilet paper. This is not good. This is a problem. But I couldn't help myself with my crazy humor. And I said, yes. Yes. Have you never tried it? It's unbelievable. For thousands of years, the Jewish people put a roll of toilet paper in the middle of the room. And then we sit in a circle. And we lock our arms together. And we meditate. And we rock back and forth. And we chant, don't tear it. Don't tear it. Don't tear it. You don't know how high that is. She's getting a little nervous, you know. And she said, you are joking, aren't you? And I said, well, yeah, actually, no. Yes, I am. Right? It depends what kind of toilet paper, of course. So she says to me like this. She says, you know, Rabbi, this is a 16-year-old American girl. She says, Rabbi, I always wanted to ask a rabbi this question. Now, what does a 16-year-old, what question did she always want to ask a rabbi? You won't believe this. Rabbi, on Shabbat, are you allowed to flush the toilet? That was her question. It's amazing how she doesn't know that it needs just a timer. That's unbelievable. I said, you get a timer. What's the problem? You figure it out, you know? But you see, listen, you know, in Kabbalah they point out that the word halacha, law, is a numerical value of kli, which means vessel. And the word for secrets is raz, and it's the numerical value of light, or. Halacha is a vessel. It's, a, it's like a wire. And the secrets are like the light or the electricity. You have a wire that's not plugged into electricity, then you've got a dead wire. And you're going to feel wired, you know. But if you have electricity but you don't have a wire, you have nothing to conduct that electricity into your life. So this is the problem of a lot of Jewish education. That a lot of Jewish people know what you can't do on Shabbat. But they don't know, but what are we trying to do on Shabbat? You know? And so I believe that when we get more education, and not just only on Shabbat, but who is Hashem? And what does Hashem want from us? And what is the goal of life? And what truly will bring us happiness and blessing into our lives? Right? Now, I understand the anxiousness that you might feel about halacha. But I believe that's only because you are not properly taught what you need to do. And so what happens to a lot of Jews is they don't quite know what they're supposed to do. So they just feel they can't do anything. Right? And they become what's called machmir. They become very stringent, you know, and they're not. Rabbi Nachman of Bretzov said, if only we would keep just the basic minimal requirements of halacha before we go up the ladder and start embracing more. Just get to the bottom of exactly what you need to do. And you'd be so amazed of how halacha isn't so, you know, like this straight jacket. But in addition to that, when I was in the army, um, for some reason, in one of my, one of my miluim, they said, you're going to be the sergeant. Why, why me? Why am I going to be the sergeant? Because they saw on my, uh, on my resume that I am, I don't say I'm a Rosh Hashiva. You know, I say I'm a principal of a school. So they thought that I'm some administrative kind of guy when I'm terrible at administration. You know, I, I'm, I'm very organized in thinking, but don't ask my wife what my office looks like, Right? And so they decide that I'm going to manage the entire platoon. And, and, and I, I said, no, you got the wrong guy. And he said, no, no, we, you're a principal of a school, right? And so I was freaking out. I will never be able to manage all these details. So what happens is they're, they're going to train me. And uh, the guy says to me, you'll see, it's really easy. And as he's explaining to me all the details I need to do to be managing everybody, I'm, I'm literally sweating bricks. He said, you'll see. And he was right, right? Once I got mastered it, once I just understood what I need to do, then it wasn't, you, didn't, you won't feel that anxiety. But somebody has to teach you halakha and understand the parameters of it, as well as the philosophical, spiritual 
contextualization of it. And I think you'll be fine. Just lock yourself in the toilet and don't do anything. You'll love Shabbos. But you're not allowed to say Shabbos in the bathroom. So, you know, I, when I'm not working on Saturdays, that's the day when I get to be with my family, when I get to be a mom. And I often think, what is so wrong with me spending Saturdays at the zoo with my husband and my son? I mean, I understand what is Shabbat is supposed to be, what it's supposed to represent. But in the midst of it all, it feels I, like I am connecting with them. Okay, great question. I appreciate you asking that. So first of all, the good thing about uh, America is you have Yom Tov Sheni. You have a second day of Shabbat called Sunday. So Sunday is time to vacation. Shabbat is not a vacation, right? Vacation is about vacating and emptying out, and that's very good, right? But Shabbat is referred to as a moed. It's referred to a time where we are to celebrate and connect in a different way. So I'm not in any way diminishing going to the zoo and all that is a time for connecting. I certainly encourage that for sure. But Shabbat is a time to connect in a very different way by having Shabbat dinner together, a family that prays together, stays together, and bringing more God consciousness into our lives. As well as there's another dimension to Shabbat, many dimensions to Shabbat, which I didn't focus on right now. But the other one is to focus on connecting to the Jewish people. And Shabbat at Kiddush, we mentioned how Shabbat is to remind us of the getting out of Egypt. What does getting out of Egypt got to do with Shabbat? Because Shabbat is all about being free from any form of addiction. If a person can't let go of their job for one day, then they don't have a job. A job has them. If a person can't stop driving their car for one day, they don't have a car. A car has them. The essence of Judaism is to enable us to be free and not be slaves. Slaves in any way, not slaves to other people, not slaves to any form of addictions. And so Shabbat is also a day to practice that freedom of saying yes to no, which is no, I'm not going shopping today. I've got all week to go shopping. I can do that another day. No, I'm not going to go on the television. No, we're not going to get in the car. Now, again, everybody in their own, I, I want to be very, very careful with this, right? I'm not saying everybody's going to, right now, we're all going to start keeping Shabbat. It was a journey for me. It was a journey for me, right? But commit yourself to start making that journey. And even if you say, well, I'm not ready, I, I, it'll blow me away, you know, I don't want to bite off more than I could chew. So let's start with maybe Friday night dinners. I don't know. That's a strategy you can talk to someone that you're closer to, how to begin to strategically embrace more and more of Shabbat consciousness in your life and feel more connected to the Jewish people who have celebrated Shabbat for so, so long. And everybody, of course, has heard more than the Jewish people have kept Shabbat, Shabbat has kept them. And so there's other dimensions. I was focusing today on the idea of connection and being in the now. But Shabbat is also a day that enables us to learn and master Kedushah. And Kedushah is all about transcendence. Holiness, as I mentioned, Shabbat is not a spiritual day. It's not a material day. It's a holy day. And a holy day is where the spiritual and the material are two sides of one coin. And we learn to become more whole. And we learn to let go and become more masters in our lives by being able to stop certain things. I'll give you another example. Imagine I work for Google. And let's say Google has a policy that it, Google doesn't want me to work on Shabbat, on Saturday. But you know, I love my job, and I want to get ahead in my job, and I know the security code or whatever, so I don't care. I mean, it's my time. I, I go in to work for Google on Saturday. Well, what's wrong with that? That means I'm self-employed, right? If Google doesn't want you to work on Saturday, why are you working on Saturday? It's because you're deluding yourself that you work for yourself, that you're self-employed. Shabbat is amazing because Shabbat reminds us, who do I work for? And it's so relaxing. I don't own World Incorporated, right? I just work here. 
And if the boss doesn't want me to work, that's the amazing thing. Where did the laws of Shabbat come from? It came from the building of the Mishkan, the tabernacle. It's very odd. What's that got to do with anything? Because the greatest accomplishment of a human being is to build this world as a sanctuary for God. And you're not allowed to do that on Shabbat. Why? Why can't I do that on Shabbat? Of all things, I can't do that on Shabbat. Why? Now imagine we're rebuilding the temple. We've been waiting so long. We're about to finish. That means the presence of God is going to come to this world. That means the whole point of history, we're going to do tikkun olam. All the fixing is going to happen. The blessings, it's unbelievable. We've been waiting for this moment. And we've got 20 minutes left to finish the temple. Shabbat is in 18 minutes. We'd have to break Shabbat for two minutes to bring about ultimate redemption, to f infuse the world with the spirit of Hashem. For two minutes, we're going to wait a whole day? Why? And their answer is, who do you work for? Right? Who do you trust? Are you self-employed? Right? Are you self-employed? So there's a lot of things I could, I could do a whole seminar you know, on Shabbat, but that's another very important facet of Shabbat, which is to remind us, who do I work for? Who runs this planet? And just let go and let God right, tell me what he'd like me to do and how I can find greater fulfillment. Let's hear some more. By the way, if my answers don't you know, satisfy you, then that's okay. But please come up to me afterwards and we'll continue to talk about it. I'd be happy to try and... Explain it better if I can. Yes, please come up to the mic. How would you say in your own experience or maybe a couple of examples how keeping Shabbat has affected people in their lives after Shabbat or how might we bring Shabbat into the rest of the week? How to bring Shabbat into the next... Okay, good question, good question. So as I mentioned, Shabbat, one of the factors of Shabbat is learning to be present, being now, seeing the world from God's perspective, which is an eternal now perspective, not focus on the, fa the, 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 the past or the future, and be more present. You know, Rabbi Nachman of Bretzlov says that a tzaddik, a holy person, they are Shabbat. Why? They are on the level of Shabbat. Because a holy person is completely present with you. They're not in a hurry. They're not in a hurry. There isn't this feeling like, I got to get on to the next person. I got big things to do. When they're there with you, they're there with you. And that's what Shabbat is supposed to help us and remind us and enable us and train us to be more present. Chew your food, right? There'll be plenty of it. So chew your food, taste your food. A lot of people aren't even tasting their food. And then you bring that into the week. Now, of course, you're working in this and that, but bring some of that now-mindedness into what you're doing, right? And don't be in a hurry to get to the end because it's about the journey and not the end. You know, I have a, um, a video, a short video that was put on Facebook a couple of weeks ago, and it's Baruch Hashem, it's going viral. It's almost 100,000. It's actually past 100,000 views in a couple of weeks. And basically, it's about imagine you're climbing a mountain, Right? And somebody comes by in a helicopter and says, what's your goal? And you say, the top of the mountain. So he says, well, how long have you been climbing? Well, it's been actually two weeks. He says, well, you look exhausted. You look wiped out. Why don't you just get in my helicopter? I'll take you up. Would you get in? Well, no. Well, why not? Because you made a mistake. You thought the top of the mountain is the goal and the climb is the means. If that's the case, then get in. But the top of the mountain is not the goal. The top of the mountain is the means. The goal is every step of the journey. And that's why even building the Beit HaMikdash has to wait for Shabbat. Because even building the Beit HaMikdash, the goal is not to get it finished. The goal is to be building it. When it's finished, it's finished. But don't be in a rush. Don't be impatient. Celebrate the journey. 
because it's all about the journey. And so Shabbat trains us to have that more mindfulness, and we have to try and bring that also, a little bit of that Shabbat into our week. We can take one more question, if there is one more question. Before that question, let me just make a quick commercial. So as you probably know, I'm Rabbi David Aaron, and uh, I'm very active on Facebook, so if you want to get more of this kind of Torah, so you can find me on Facebook, as well as I have a website called RabbiDavidAaron.com, and um, I send a, a weekly bite. So if you just go to my website, you can just take out your cell phones and, you know, and go to my website, you can register, and every week I send out articles, I produce animations, short animations with deep ideas, videos, podcasts. I have a radio show that's affiliated with Fox called Soul Talk that I do every week. And so if uh, this kind of tour resonates with you, you can certainly get more as well. I've written eight books, and some of my books are over there for sale. So uh, you might want to check it out. In fact, I know that they're selling The Secret Life of God. You got The Secret Life of God over there? Right. So that, that book actually was picked up by a fellow who got it from a um, priest. And this guy himself is not Jewish, but a uh, Jesuit priest told him, you must read this book. And this guy's a therapist, and uh, he now uses the secret life of God as part of his regular therapy with all his clients. And he wrote an article called, My Patient Was Cured by a Book. And so he actually understood my book, I think, better than I did. In his article, he explained the psychological power behind Kabbalistic ideas. And he himself is not Jewish, although his wife is Jewish, his children are Jewish, and he has a wellness center in Boston. And so, um, so if you're interested, I've, thank God, gotten some really great feedback over the years on the content of the book, so you might want to check that out. So if there is any time for one more question, I think there is for one more question. Anybody got a question? You want a follow-up question? Yeah, go ahead. Follow-up question. We don't have so much time, so go for it. Just loud. So the question was, you know, very often it seems like a lot of the yoke is on the woman in terms of Shabbat. And so, uh, look, this class wasn't for women. I'm sorry. <laughs> you have to make that decision. You know, I mean, it's great to invite guests, but if it's wiping you out, then that's something you also have to consider, you know. And uh, also, believe it or not, I am a fan of the husband's helping. Uh, not me. I don't do that. I don't do that. Right. I have other people's husbands come and take care of that. I don't do that. Um, but, um, yeah, I think husbands should help. In fact, I want to tell you something amazing. I used to go for Shabbat to a family, a Hasidic family in Yerushalayim. These are Yerushalmis. They are literally, you know, centuries in Israel. And you, you think they're the most backwards people, right? They're like, they're from the old time, not new thinking. And, 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 and it's amazing, in their home, right? And this is, this is one of the, the biggest rabbis in Jerusalem, by the way, right? In their home, on Shabbat, the men, they serve and they clean up. And the women sit there. The girls, not just the mother, the women sit there. You'd think, oh, this is something progressive. This must be modern orthodoxy or something. No, I'm telling you, this is literally in an area, a Haredi area in Yerushalayim. Um, and this was normal to them, that the, the males were equally involved. It's true that the girls were involved with the cooking for the Shabbat. But the husband and the, ch the male children were the serving and the cleaning. Right, so, uh, it, you know, so, uh, I, I hope the guys aren't angry at me. Because, again, I don't do this. I just suggest this. <laughs> yes. When I first started um, considering becoming Shomer Shabbat, uh, I was um, a dentist on Saturday. And um, I realized that my um, office would uh, sometimes have a lot of missing appointments because the patient would, it was a nice day, they went to the beach. And I would still be paying the overhead, and my assistants would sit there and say, gee, I wonder where that patient went. And then we were driving one Shabbat, and we were listening to a tape. And the tape woke me up. And the tape was, 
I ain't gonna work on Saturday. I ain't gonna work on Saturday. Double, double, triple pay can't make me work on Saturday. It's Shabbos Kodesh. This was the song. And I realized, what a hypocrite. You're driving along with the kids in the car playing the song. So that became my reason to become Shomer Shabbat. So I quit my office and my income went up <laughs> because I didn't have to pay the overhead for people that didn't show up. Great. So wow, I would encourage everybody to become Shomer Shabbat for whatever reason they have. And that became a whole kicking off point for our family to become united much more. And as a result of that, I learned how to cook. Wow. <laughs> Shabbat Shabbat. All right. Thank you so much, everybody. And uh, looking forward to grabbing a great Shabbat. And we can now together. Please visit MyJLI.com to learn more about JLI's multiple educational offerings and TorahCafe.com to view highlights and lectures from past retreats.